year. Or happy new decade, as it may be. When I was invited to give this message, I felt it was a new year message, and then over the preceding weeks, I realized it was turning into a new decade's message. And I think there's something significant about that in terms of us. When we come to, to a new year, we tend to look at, uh, at the past. We consider what our year's been like, or in this case, what our 10 years have been like. We look at the situation we're in now, and we think about the future. And we're going to do that in a minute in the book of Hebrews, but I think it's significant that we come in this, in this period to look at 10 years, because as we know, we stand in a situation at this moment where, where John, our pastor, has, is leaving us in this coming year. He's stepping down from that role. So we, we stand on this and we look back at the past of those 10 years that John has given faithful service to us. And we look forward to the 10 years that come ahead. And I think the significance in the 10 years that we come ahead in terms of what is going on in the world, but also in terms of us as a church... Us as a family of Christ. And when I say family, I don't mean mum, dad, and two children. I mean us as family. As a family of church, that we will celebrate 100 years here in this location, in this part of this city. And I think that's very significant, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through. So what we're going to do is to to look at this, to consider our situation. We're going to first look into the book of Hebrews. Um, So Hebrews... Uh, 11, which is on page 1209, if you want to turn to that. Um, and we're going to look at this biblical story. So, so this in Hebrews 11, it's, as somebody, I said somebody the other day, I was t- talking about this this morning, he said, oh, it's the biblical hall of fame. It is a, a, a recap of a story. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, but they want to tell this story again. They want to highlight the people in the story. Uh, so you may have seen on the sheet, we're giving it a title of Here Be Giants. A bit cryptic, but he actually, it's about giants of faith. It's about the people in this story who stand out as, wow, what did they do? What did they do that, that led us to where we are and where we are? But there's more giants than that. Um, as we talk about this today, we'll talk about... Um, giants of faith. We'll talk about giant promises... These people were living for something out there, and it was a giant promise to them, but they faced challenges. And as we come back and look at ourselves, we'll think about all these things. What are our giants? What goes behind us? What are we building upon? What are we building towards? And what do we face? What are we challenged to get there? And it's a continuing story. So we're the biblical story. Our story is part of the biblical story. Somewhere in page... 10,976 is the book of Portswood, somewhere in heaven. We don't have it here. But actually, we are part of that story. And as we go through, we'll start to see how we're building upon the shoulders of all these people we see. So that's why we're talking about giants. But if you remember here on Christmas Day, I asked for a new one of these for Christmas. I didn't get one. (laughs) Hello? There And one more. There's there's three other words I want us to think about. No? We've gone too far now. Here we go. Precedent, promise, and perseverance. So we think about the past and the present and the future, but we're actually going to think about it in a little bit in terms of of precedent. What's the precedent? What goes before us? What do we build upon? What is it that we need to be faithful to? 
What's the promise we're building toward and what is the perseverance? And as we go into this passage, we will see those stand out. So, so you might find either of those ways of thinking about it helpful, um, but we'll go into the passage and see. So starting at uh, faith in action, so Hebrews 11, on page 1209. Now faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So the author of Hebrews wants to start right back at the beginning. He wants to take us all the way back because the whole story relies upon the beginning and it relies upon each and every step and each and every place. So he takes us right back to the creation of the universe and says God, by faith, created this planet, this place that we are on. And that's part of this story. The story doesn't happen without it. So he carries on. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Abel killed by his brother Cain because he was recognized by God. It's a part of that story in, in Genesis as we go through. By faith, Enoch was taken from his life, from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because everyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So where's Enoch? We don't know where Enoch is. Enoch disappears. But the story that actually is Enoch's faith is recognized. The author is saying, and remember Enoch, the faith that he has. And, and he points out here that that faith was vital in that step, actually to be able to see what God has promised, to have the perseverance to head towards it. You needed to believe in God. So if you don't know, if you don't believe in God, then earnestly search for him. I'd really encourage you to find him because if you can find him, you can start to see that promise. And as we move forward as a family, we want to be able to see that promise. We carry on. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now, it's significant that Noah's in here. I think as we stand at this boundary between the 2010s and the 2020s, it won't have escaped our notice that the created world is not in a great place. And I think that's significant for us. And Noah here, and we're going to come back to this, but Noah is, is credited as righteousness because he recognizes the destruction of the world and he stands to save it. He stands to save uh, the animals. He's called upon by God to do that. And there's a question, you know, and in doing so, he condemns the world for its, its own destruction. And we'll talk about that. So it's significant that it's in here. We carry on. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, 
came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So we're starting to build up in this story. We're starting to see that it's starting to build upon each other. And as I say, these, these people, they set out. Abraham sets out not knowing where he's going. He's got a promise. He's got a picture out there of this God is building a building. God is building a city that he's been called to. But Abraham doesn't know where he's going. He sets off. He's not certain what that looks like. And the promise is unbelievable. The promise is that you and your wife, who is of many, many years, are going to be the source of so many nations and so many people. But by faith, he sets off and he pitches his tent. Again, a significant thing for us as we look back to our heritage. Because 90 plus years ago, we started here as a tent. Um, and we talk about that. But so, so, we, so this step of faith, Abraham goes off not knowing where he's going. I, I came to faith in 2005. Within 18 months of coming to faith, God was saying, okay, let's let go of some of this stuff. Let's move on. Let's move to a different place. Let's change your job. Let's go somewhere else. And when we committed to do that, we didn't know where we were going. But actually, God is faithful. We knew that God had called us, so we would go. That was, that was the way. And, and still you travel that journey, and God calls you, and you still don't quite know where you're going. But once you've started, your heart is to continue on. But as I say, so they saw this from a distance. We carry on in the passage at verse 15. Is that 15? Yes, it is. No, 13. Sorry. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, and they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So it takes perseverance because actually they're heading to somewhere they're not going to reach. They're heading to somewhere that God is building upon. But it's not a wasted journey. Each of these people, each of these giants is the stepping stone for the person that comes after them. This is a story that runs on. God is building a city. And when you start to look at it, you realize he's building it out of these people's faithfulness. He's building it one step at a time as these people commit to doing something, as they commit to journeying on to what God is building. And they know that promise is true. And they each individually commit themselves to go into that. And they long for a better country. They see it from a distance. So this is a biblical precedent. This is the story I'm talking about precedent. This is what goes before in the biblical story, this is what's happened. These people have come. These are their faith. And the, builder, and the writer of Hebrews is building up. He's saying, actually, and there's this person of faith. And there's this person. This is what they did. Stone upon stone, God is building that. So what about us? What about us as, as Portswood Church? What's our precedent? Well, as we look back... 90 years, 90 plus years since we've been here in this place. It's important we recognize what are the giants in our history? What are the giants in our history? Are people a bit like Abraham? They set out from the center of this city, from the Brethren Church, and came to this and new community. 
and planted a tent here and they started a tent mission. Hey, there's a, there's a ring of this biblical story and you realize actually we're part of this story. We're continuation. We're building upon Abraham and Moses and all those things. So these people at the beginning of our journey set out. They didn't know where they were going. They knew physically where they were going. They knew where Portswood was. It was a new part of this community, a new part of this city growing. We live in a house that was built 15 years before this church was founded and this huge number of houses have been built, were built around that time. So it was a growing population, a new population. But when they set out, they didn't know. They thought they were doing a tent mission. Within a few years, there was a building here. 90 years later, we are here celebrating what they did. And I believe that in a few years' time, we will be celebrating 100 years of what they did. And their story is still being told. They are giants of faith. They're not in this chapter, but they are, I believe, in heaven in another chapter. And so we build upon that. We stand upon their shoulders to continue the ministry that God is calling us to. And, you know, so we look back and we all have giants of faith in our lives. And, 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 you know, actually we may be, for me, I have great, you know, huge recognition of the Desert Fathers, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King. People like that, you start to look and you realize there's a huge amount of faith that comes beyond this. And we can start to see that story. But as a church, we have our own story. And they came here uh, as a promise for this community. And as we talk about our future, then we have to link about what we started from. But in this, this last 10 years, looking at it, and I think John's not here. I thought John was going to be here, but just actually recognize John's faithfulness over these past 10 years. I've only been for some of that, but actually recognized his huge faithfulness and the gifts that he's given us. He is a giant of faith in the story of Boards of Church. He might not see it, but I believe that we will always see it. And we will see and always be thankful for his heart for uh, reconciliation, his heart for uh, restoration of relationships, his huge pastoral heart in that side. I think we will always be thankful for his heart in terms of bringing women into the role of leadership and releasing them in that. And we build upon that. We are building upon the continued work of others that go before, just as this story does. So someone will build upon what we do too. But we are to build towards this city that God is calling us to. So we mustn't lose sight of this precedent. We mustn't lose sight of this past. But having a past like that doesn't mean we just stay the same. God is not calling us just to be the same. He's calling us to continue to build to what is ultimately the city that he is the architect of. Every building block is different, but every building block relies upon the building block before it. And I think we, we forget, we, we risk our peril if we forget what we're building upon. But equally, we need the heart to go for the promise that God has got and to build upon it in the right way. While we were praying just earlier, I had this real picture in a sense of, I'll try and do it with a pen, it'll be quite hard to see, but in terms of like... As you come to the end of a year, we're sort of at the beginning, at the middle of the seesaw. And if the people behind us are heavy enough, we will continue up. We won't just carry on. But actually, we've got this heavy weight of giants behind us 
that give us this springboard towards what God is calling us towards. And and just carrying on the same is not what God is calling us towards. He's calling us upwards. He's calling us further. And we should use and and build upon what's gone before. So what are the important things that we're going to build upon? Now, I'm going to share some thoughts here. They're not... um, they're not an output of SLT or, uh, you know, transition team or anything like that. They're just things actually sort of on my heart I've got to share this morning that are significant in our past. As I said, here in this community, this church exists because of this community around it. It was to reach these people. And as we look at our community, how do we reach the community? Who are the new community around us? I strongly believe that there's something in us to reach what is, what is it, over 55s or whatever the politically correct term is, but actually there's growing communities of that age, new housing in this area. There are new communities. How do we pitch, re-pitch our tent for those sort of people? Obviously, students is a massive growth that has seen over those 90 years, um, whether it's growing now, but again, they are part of our community, crucially, that we are pitching our tent in a way that reaches those people. And, of course, the multiculturalness of this society now. The, the area we're in has a massive range of nationalities, and we celebrate that within this, and that's something we've engaged with over the years. And I believe firmly we have to continue to engage with that and stand against whatever the world is saying about uh, different cultures and different nations. We will stand and say we welcome all of God's people into this. The second thing I think is important in our history is a brethren heart. I, I didn't have any experience as a brethren. I mean, I only came to faith in 2005, but having come to Portsmouth, I started to study brethren, and there's just a few things that really strike me. There's a lot of baggage, and there's a lot of not-so-good stuff, but actually, brethren's ascending church. Brethren's biggest failure in human terms was that they blessed everybody else. So they blessed other churches, they blessed other communities, they sent people, they took people in, they gave them the knowledge, they gave them the sense of God's calling on their life and they sent them out. So actually the brethren never grew massively, it just equipped the world. And I think we're probably still called into that place. I don't think we should lose sight of that and how we build upon, how we educate people, how we equip them for the world is something we need to keep close in our mind. And then the final one is, is, is leadership in terms of Jesus-centric leadership. And how do we continue to build that, the multiplicity of leadership? Um, the heart of brethrenism was everybody goes. It's not passengers, it's entirely crew on board. So that's really looking at, at, at what our precedent is as a church. But what's our promise? Well, the 2020s, as I say, we'll see 100 years. But what is God calling us to? What is the promise that God is drawing us to for this community? I don't know the answer to that. But that's what we need to search for. That's what we need to hunt for. We need to find those glimpses, those visions. And we'll know they're from God if they're completely humanly impossible to even imagine happening. Because then we can go, wow, well if that's what it's going to be like, then that's only God. And that's what we want to hunt for. These people are looking for this city that is, is from God. But again, not looking back, building upon what we've got and saying, actually, the future is where we are being called to go. I think it's really important. I think Martin Luther King, again, has sort of in the light before he was assassinated, he made that speech and said, I've seen the promised land. I might not get there with you, but I'm willing 
to go because you will get there. He knew he wasn't going to get there. He didn't, well, we don't know if he knew he was going to be shot the following day, but he knew that he was building something that others would build upon and others would get there. And that's what we're called to do as a church. We're called to continue the work of 90 years ago, a plant here, to continue to grow into what God wants us to be. Reaching forward. So I just want to talk about, so we talked about so the giants of faith, we've got giant promises. We need to know what God is promising us, what he's calling us to. But there's giant challenges too. And I really felt that I should just share a few thoughts on these. And these are my thoughts. But do you know there's times when you know God is in the house? Today I knew God was in the house when Peter led us through Psalm 146. So we had no idea that Peter was going to lead through Psalm 146. But we'll see the three things that I've picked out that I think are significant challenges to us, maybe globally, but actually impact us as a church. They were the three things that were in Psalm 146. So the first of these is God's creation. I talked about Noah a little bit and how Noah's role was God calls Noah to condemn the world for its destruction of what God has created it to be. Um, How that pans out, we're not going to go into, but... In a sense, I think there's a real significance in this, and I will share a personal feeling on my part, is that you know, we can't escape the fact that creation is in a mess. We cannot escape that there's something going wrong. Now, you know, there might be leaders in the world, uh, you know, even in this country, there might be leaders who are going, actually, I don't think that's a problem, it's not our problem. But I think as people of God, the question we have to ask is, is this the way it should be? Is this the way God wanted it to be? Because if it's not, then maybe we're called to do something else. And I fear, and this is a personal fear, I don't know, but I fear that we risk, because the prophetic message about the environment and creation and everything else is coming from outside of the church, it's not coming from where we expect it to come from, it's coming from people who we may not sort of be totally comfortable with. Because that message is coming outside, I feel that we risk the possibility that we go, oh, that's of the world. Uh, they're, they're just pushing a sort of world's agenda and we've got to get on with what we've got to get on with. And I think we risk being condemned, not us as a body, but as a church globally. We risk being condemned by the world for our ignoring the situation. So how that pans out for us as a church, I don't know. But actually, maybe it really needs to be high on our agenda that says we believe God's creation is what he called us to, and it was the first thing he called us to. We obviously go with a great commission, hugely, but God called us to care for his creation. So I think that's one, and I'll say that comes out in Psalm 146 very clearly. The second one I put in is mental health and addictions. I have a strong feeling this is a growing challenge for us in the world. It's a, it's a huge issue, and actually God calls us in a way to bring his healing to this situation. And, and, you know, for us to provide shelter, to provide food and, and to help people in these situations is entirely right. But maybe the calling to us is to go further, is to go for healing, is to go for restoration, to get up front with the addictions of alcohol, of, of drugs, of pornography, all those sort of things that are fighting in this world and destroying the mental health issues that are affecting our young people. Maybe we need to get in there with God and say, God, we know you can bring healing. 
What does it look like for us as a church? I'm quite excited, actually. I think we just started hosting at Alcoholics Anonymous here. Nothing to do with us. We're just using the building. But that's a great step. Because actually it says, these people need healing and restoration. So it's just something in my heart just to share that. Um, and then the final one is increasing global national self-interest. I think as we sit in a, in, in a community that's multicultural, I think we stand against the world in that. So I don't think we personally have a problem. But I think we see a world that is increasingly trying to isolate itself nationally. Uh, whether that is simply because the inequalities of the world are becoming more apparent and, and people are recognising that that's going to challenge them. But whatever it is, it's an important issue and I think we will you know, be called to, to stand against that. And as I say, in Psalm uh, 146, which is, I have no idea uh, what we would said, uh, he is the maker of the heaven and earth, the sea and everything in remains faithful. He upholds the cause of the oppressed, gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. And that's what I think is important about that in that mental health and addictions. It's about setting people free. How can the Lord do that? How can we facilitate that? And the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. And he frustrates the way of the wicked. So I think, you know, there's a sense I, I, you know, I really feel that actually God is sort of speaking in those and, and, and there's something there. So what I'll do now is just to go back on that. So we look at some of our situation, but I just want to pick out and go back into this passage a little bit more and travel a bit further to look at who the giants of faith really are. Because it's very easy for us to look at this passage and go, well, yeah, it's all right for them. They were called to be this and they were that. But who really were they? So what we'll do is we'll return to the passage. Um, now, because there's a lot of people in here, I've got some notes on my phone, so you don't mind me using those. So we're going to go back into uh, verse 16. Just going to pick up on uh, heavenly, we're going to go to 17. So, um, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Then it's got by faith Abraham, um, and then it talks about Abraham's um, journey there. I'm not going to go into him. Carries on down, we go into Isaac, we go into Jacob. We see this story building, we see these people one upon top of the other. By faith, Joseph. And then we go to 23. By faith, Moses, parents hid him for three months. Moses, that giant of faith. Oh, but hang on a minute. Verse 23 is not about Moses. Verse 23 is about Moses' parents. They hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the edict of the king. Does anybody know the names of Moses' parents? No, we don't. Exodus 2 tells us that Moses' parents were a man of the tribe of Levi and a Levite woman. Do we have a man of the tribe of Levi in the house? Do we have a Levite woman in the balcony? Yes, we probably do. But they're recognized in this passage by the author of Hebrews as giants of faith. Because the story doesn't continue. Moses isn't Moses if he's not put in a basket in the reeds. It doesn't mention Moses' sister. Moses' sister is the one who spots the Pharaoh's daughter and says, would you like me to find a Hebrew woman to look after Moses? Moses isn't Moses if he doesn't become Pharaoh's son. So these people are giants of faith. They are building upon others and they are creating the stepping stones for the story to unfold. So it then does unfold. 
It unfolds into Moses' story, and we've not got time to go into that. He refuses to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. 29, by faith the people pass through the Red Sea. Moses leads the people on. He draws on with God's story. Moses is a murderer. He's not the best person in the book, but he leads for God to go. And then 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched round them for seven days. We talk about giant challenges. This was the giant challenges of these ancients, these walls of Jericho. Maybe the mental health and addiction problems in our society, maybe there are walls of Jericho. Maybe we're just going to have to walk around them. But maybe we are going to have to face up to them. And carrying on. We carry on. 31, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab is a prostitute. She's the lowest in the society of the time. But actually, as these men come to her, she speaks prophetically into what's going on, and she tells them that the Lord has given this place into their hands. They go back equipped. They go back to, to Joshua, and they say, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. This is Rahab. She's a giant of faith in this story. We carry on. Where does he carry on? He says, what shall I tell you about Gideon? Gideon's a mighty warrior. But actually, when you go into Judges 6, you find that Gideon starts his conversation with God. He says, pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did they not lead us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon's not overly impressed, is he? The Lord turns to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon's response, Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Gideon's a giant of faith in this story. He is the least in the least of the least in his tribe and God says and the Lord answers I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites leaving none alive and of course that's the heart of it isn't it that actually these people are nothing without God but with God they're the giants that get recounted to us in these passages they're the giants that lead this story on to the place to which we stand I'm sending you. And their faithfulness to God is what leads the people on. And it struck me, and this is a bit of a side, but actually biblical leadership and secular leadership are very different. In a sense, you take a sort of strategic secular leadership, which I've been involved in years. You actually you work out where you're going, you plan for it, you say, well, this is what we want. You enroll people into a vision, you set off, you plan how you're going to get there. They do Gantt charts, that's not my scene, but you, know, you head towards this. Whereas actually when you read this story, you realise what happens is people are called by God. They see where God wants to go. And their role is to let other people come into that same place to see what God is showing them. And to get them into the presence of God so that they know the promise is true. And that they have the perseverance to go on. And I think if there's one thing in the next 10 years, there's one thing that matters to us as a body. It's the presence of God. 
I'll say it again. I think there's one thing that matters more than anything else. And that is finding ourselves in the presence of God. Because it is from that place, the presence of God, that like these ancients, we see a city that God is building. And when we see that city from that presence, we know that God is the one who is promising it. We know he is faithful. We know he is true. And we are willing to go and call to us. And we need the perseverance to go. I just want to touch on a few others in this passage before we finish. Because it just goes on and on. It's amazing. Gideon, Barak, Samson. Um, we know about Samson and his hair and his strength. Um, oh, Barak. We missed Barak out. Sorry, Gideon, Barak. Barak is called by Deborah. Deborah is the leader of Israel. There's nothing unbiblical about leadership in terms of women. So he is called and he comes into this situation and uh, he says, I won't go without you. This is to Deborah. He's not willing to go without her. And she says, that's fine. I will come, but the Lord will deliver Caesarea into the hands of a woman. Uh, And what Barak finds is that when he finally gets the person he's supposed to destroy, he's been beaten to it and a lady has got him and nailed a tent peg through his head. So we see that, but he's counted as a giant in faith. Samson, to say we, 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 we know about him, we won't go into him. Um, uh, Jephthah, Jephthah, I can't even say it, Jephthah, uh, in Judges 11. So he's called here, he's described before we go into Daniel, David and Samuel. So Jephthah is the son of a mighty warrior and the son of a prostitute. He was rejected. He was outcast from his family, from his community, because he was the son of a prostitute, but actually he's called back. He's called back to serve and to lead Israel when they recognize that God has placed his hand upon him. So these are the people that go before us. They're characters in the story, and what I want us to bear in mind is that we are not observers on this story. We are characters in a story that continues on beyond this. And the question to ask us is, are we the characters that are faithful to what God is calling to us? Are we willing to go to a place we don't know? Are we willing to step out into something that we know we'll never reach? But we will know that our faithfulness will be recognized. Just as these are recognized by the writer of Hebrews, our faithfulness will be recognized And people will build upon our shoulders too. So as a church, we do, we build upon the shoulders of this, our biblical precedent. We build upon the shoulders of those who planted this church here 90 plus years ago. We build upon the shoulders of John, uh, who's led us for these 10 years. Where are we going? God tells us where we're going. That's God's role and, and, and that's what we want him to do. We need to come into his presence. And as we do that, we will find that there will be times, they're usually in the dead of night, and we wonder why we're doing this. We wonder, can we go? But it's in those times, it's in those places where God breaks through. And again, it's from the presence of God, it's from being in his presence that the strength rises the vision 
is revitalized. We can see what he is calling us to. And we can have the perseverance and the strength to say, yes, I'll go. So thank you for that. And we're just going to spend a bit of time just seeking God's presence now.